Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 35 and we're reviewing Code Geass, Lelouch of the Rebellion R2, season 2, part 1. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. What? I don't know. It's it's R2. That's what they title the second season. But I wanted to still clarify that this is the second season of Code Geass, so it just made it a really long title to read. See, whenever I see R2, I just think the R2 button on the PlayStation controller, but that's just me. Whenever I see R2, I think it's like a remake, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's a continuation of the story, and that's what we're talking about today. But before we dive into stuff that is strictly anime, we wanted to share some news with all of you about stuff that is strictly normie. <laughs> <laughs> normie. Yeah. Um, so we were recently featured on TV Trivia Pod, which is a podcast all about, you guessed it, TV show trivia. And for this episode uh, that we were featured in, we did trivia questions related to The Office, uh, specifically season four, episodes one through five, um, which those were interesting because a lot of those episodes, I want to say four out of those five episodes were an hour long. Um, so there's a lot of information to pull, but a lot of hilarity in those episodes as well. Yeah, surprise, surprise. We're not only anime fans, but we're also The Office fans. Um, so we had a great time on TV Trivia Pod playing with uh, host Brian. And I think we did a pretty good job with our questions. Yeah, it made us really put our Office fanaticism to the test. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not don't want to spoil anything on our results but i i would say we did a pretty good job yeah we we, we made a good team for once <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so if you are interested in things that are of the normie pop culture <laughs> definitely check out our featured episode again it's episode 32 of the office trivia on tv trivia pod and we'll have more information on this on our twitter and instagram pages so yeah Be sure to check it out. But back to the subject at hand, which is Code Geass R2 or Season 2 or however you want to call it. This show just yeets you right into the thick of it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. So (laughs) let's start off with general thoughts. I I want you to go first because I've seen Code Geass before um, and you have not. So for your first time watching the first half of R2, what did you think? And you know what? Before I even let you answer that question let's clarify really quick that we're going to be talking about on this episode um for r2 episodes 1 through 13 technically i think the halfway point for r2 ends after episode 12 Mm -hmm. but because of the um the major plot twist that happens in episode 13 we actually thought it would have been better for carl to watch that episode to kind of round things out um we still we still will talk about episode 13 in our part two discussion for r2 man that's really hard <laughs> to talk through um but we again thought it would be cool to to add that in here just because it's cool i thought it'd be cool <laughs> not cool okay i thought it would be good to include that in here because of what happens in that episode mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe to... cool wasn't the right word yeah, okay great to end on a on a cool note <laughs> but anyway your thoughts on r2 part one go yeah <laughs> like I, just like with the first season of code geass it it throws you right in 
and and it don't stop and it don't quit. But you know, I think the approach that they did for this season, um, with the way things ended in the season finale for season one, it made me wonder like how how is Zero gonna continue his mission of like freeing the eleven I call it the elevenese, but the, the, the Japanese people in Area Eleven, but also trying to um carry out his personal vendetta when everything is crumbling around him with the Black Knights and with the rebellion. Uh so yeah, apparently all that it took was a, a memory wipe and then it kind of resets everything until uh who's it? C two comes back and tells him, Hey, what are you doing? Get back in the fight. Um, so that was an interesting way to kind of provide a, a, a fresh new take on Lelouch's journey through the rebellion or to revitalize the rebellion. Um, and I mean, with this being the new season, there are a lot of new things that we are learning about, which are the like variations of Gios and some of the loose plot threads that are kind of tied up in this first half. Um, more pertaining to like Cornelia's fate or Jeremiah's fate, which I thought they were just one and done. But apparently, if you don't see them die, I think you always say this, if you don't see them die on screen, then they're probably still alive. Damn straight. Um, and again, going back to what we were referencing with episode 13, um, how Shirley's memories of Zero, Zero uh, come back into play um, when Jeremiah ruins everything and cancels her gear so there's a lot that happens in this part and you know after going through the whirlwind that was season one i kind of knew that going into season two it was going to be even more of a whirlwind but knowing what the story is now and going into this it was a little bit easier to follow but yeah the pacing's still crazy as ever but what did you think of R2? So I agree that the pacing is as crazy as ever, but I love it. Um, knowing that we got the cliffhanger that we did in season one, where Suzaku and Lelouch are in that standoff, and then you just hear a gunshot as it cuts to black, that's one of the probably craziest cliffhangers we've ever experienced in anime. Not just because of what happened, but because that's how they ended an entire season. And then everyone had to wait, I think it was like almost a year or whatever, mm -hmm. for R2 to come out. I mean, talk about a gut-wrenching, horrible cliffhanger. Horrible in like an awesome sense, but also horrible that you have to wait <laughs> that long to find out what happens next. So knowing that that's where they left off and the emotion that comes along with that, I love that they made the decision to not waste any fucking time and just get right back into it. I mean, in general, as you've alluded to, Code Geass is not a show that is slow paced. It moves very, very quick. So I think it would have been odd if they started off the season or really had any episode that's slow paced because um, it's just not something that they do. But again, I, I really appreciated that they just answered all the questions that everyone was noodling over the entire wait and then said you know here's here's where Lelouch is here's what happened to him it's been a year time skip um and you also not only get your your questions answered but you get to see what happens next he gets his powers back he gets his memories back and he immediately takes command of the situation yeah even in the first episode like you said it, it's a, a year of a time skip um and it doesn't really address at first the aftermath of that season finale, but I, I think less than like five to ten minutes into that first episode, you'll like you eventually, 
or not, maybe not the first episode, the second episode, but it, it just takes you right back in without making you wait too long. Yeah, because if they had taken the first episode of this season to, I don't know, like kind of draw out Lelouch's normal life and who the fuck is Rolo and why don't any of the students remember what happened? And then like at the end of the episode, he like gets his memory back and then it cuts off the episode and you have to wait till the next one. That's just not... That's not Kogias's style, right? Like they cram as much as possible into a single episode, but it always has, almost always has really good, um, sensible pacing. So I think this was the, a smart way to do it. But my overall thoughts, I do want to co- circle back to your original question. My overall thoughts on this first half of the season um, is that it's it's taking what the second, the, sorry, the first season set up and amplifying the intensity. Um, I would say... I'm sure you already know this. I'm looking at Carl because all of our friends have already alluded to this, but it gets even more intense in the second half of the season. But that's not to say that this first half of the season isn't already super intense. So they just keep piling that on and on and on and just growing the world, growing the plot, growing the plot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there is a lot of plot in the show Um, and just kind of taking everything and, and continuing to build on it and adding more complexity they're just keeping that train running, and I appreciate that. I love that about the show. Yeah, the best way I can describe, I guess, this show um, or this season is like if if you had a heart attack, and this show just gives you a cup of coffee. <laughs> like that's how <laughs> intense that it it keeps up its fervor. Um, and you know, I normally make Dark Knight references. In you a do lot of our make a lot of Dark Knight anime yeah, reviews and discussions. But I think this is the first time that I think with the return of Lelouch as Zero, it's like the Dark Knight Rises. Oh, Don't you think so? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. What I'm kind of looking forward to in this in this season, too, and you get a little bit of this in the first half, um, is just getting more into Lelouch's head and determining if he really does care about the Rebellion's cause or if he's just being self-serving in this vendetta he has against um, the Emperor and creating this world, or this better world for him and Nunnally. And I know that comes into conflict halfway through this part, and we'll probably touch upon that. Um, But yeah, just seeing what his overall strategy is in this grander chess match, to use the analogy that comes up a lot in the show, of what he wants to do with these series of events. You bring up a really good point. Like, if you look at Kogias from a certain angle, it can just be described as a revenge story mm-hmm. because of what happened to Nunnally, what happened to his mom, um, you know, given his dad's decision to try and kill them. I don't know. But I think that from another angle too, like Lelouch looks like the anti-hero. I think we talked about this in our previous Code Geass season one reviews. And it's tough because when you see him as the anti-hero, it's very easy to kind of put him in the place of almost the bad guy or like an evil light. But at the end of the day, his true intention or his true motivation for everything that he's doing is to give his sister the, you know, the, the life that she's always wanted and deserved given everything that she's been through, give her the world that, you know, she, she should be living in, um, one that's kind and better, et cetera. So it's like, man, Sometimes he does things that just seem very cold hearted, that seem questionable. But then you think about like his intentions and why he's doing it. And it's like, man, that that's a, a good intention. It's it's um, an honorable one. But at the same time, it also is like you're choosing the one over like the millions. But 
to be fair, he is also trying to free the Japanese um, and give them, you know, the the respect and the life that they deserve too. So I don't know. It's it's very that's what Kogias is about, right? Kind of puts things in the gray all the time. Yeah, and I think the compass that um, the show uses to determine, I guess, where Lelouch's or Zero's morals lie is the power of Gios itself. And I think there was a quote from the previous season that I wrote down here where people who can use Gios for the right reasons can be tr- become a true king. Um, but as you said, the way that Lelouch uses Gios, it's not always in a positive sort of light. So I guess we have yet to see if he can live up to this expectation or even if he wants to become a true king or if he just has, again, his own personal interests at heart um, or if he actually wants to use Gios productively in creating this better world or if it's through quote-unquote nefarious means. So let's go ahead and jump right into the thick of it with our synopsis and analysis for Code Gios R2 Part 1. Code Geass, Lelouch of the Rebellion R2 is a 2008 anime series produced by Sunrise, Mainichi Broadcasting System, and Project Geass, which takes place a year after the events of the first series. The series was directed by Goro Taniguchi, who also worked with Ichiro Okochi on the script. Each episode is presented as a turn, much like a turn in a chess match. Go figure. Oh. In turn one, the day a demon awakens... In the year of our Lelouch 2018, 12 months after the high-octane fuckery of Season 1, Ledouche of the Rebellion's brain gets a hard reset, and he gallivants to a casino at Babel Tower with his new sibling, Rolo, unaware of his past revolutionary identity. However, perfect timing ensues as the Black Knights launch an attack on the tower, and Shitsu resurrects from the dead and pulls a Mufasa to tell Ledouche, Remember who you are. Ledouche thus resumes his last save point and commands the Secret Service, telling him to use their guns to kill themselves. As if this madness weren't enough, the episode ends as Suzaku Nareru appears before Emperor Dad and the Knights of the Round, vowing to kill Zero the hero himself. But based on last season's ending, I am pretty sure he'll do a shit job at this task. And can I say this again? The Dark Knight rises. Or the Dark Knight returns. (laughs) (laughs) It is the man who will create the world anew again. Um, one thing I wanted to quickly note is that did you notice there's a parallel title with this episode and the first episode of season one? I did not. What is it? So the first episode of season one is called The Day a New Demon Was Born. And again, this one is called The Day a Demon Awakens. Oh my Fun God. facts. And I think there's a lot of parallels in these first two episodes, but with this one in particular, um, you see Lelouch facing against an opponent in a chess match like we saw in the very first episode of the series. And this time around, it's uh, Mr. Black King, who I think is part of like the mafia or whatever. Um, you have armed forces that are trying to capture C2 again. And I'm pretty sure this episode features a scene with a motor gra- motorbike and a side cab. <laughs> so, <Yep. laughs> um, yeah, interesting parallels there, along with all the strange things that, that happened in this episode because, like I said, it doesn't immediately address the aftermath of the season finale so you see things like Lelouch being blissfully ignorant of everything that happened in the last season or apparently Valletta is now a coach at their academy like where the fuck is Nunnally and why is Callan in a bunny suit and to your your point about parallels these aren't the only parallels like in the first two episodes that appear you um you can also find them with the 
the school festival episode, right? Mm -hmm. They make the attempt to make the world's largest pizza uh, again. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then with Shirley and everything that happens with her, mm -hmm. um, she sticks her nose where it doesn't need to be and gets in trouble yet again and this time it's a uh, another shitty outcome for her um probably worse than the first outcome so yeah, there's a fatal outcome <laughs> nina is fucking stupid as always so mm. that's another thing she has another freak out in front of everyone embarrassing everyone um so there, there's a lot of parallels and i think that kind of that's kind of hearkening to this idea of history repeating itself Right, because mm -hmm. that's kind of what Lucia's trying to break, the cycle of history repeating itself with um, with Britannia overthrowing all these countries and ruling and, and you know, oppressing the 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 people who originally lived there, etc. But it's funny that in his own world, history is repeating itself. It's not necessarily him that's causing that, but it's kinda like how will he overcome this? He's already been in a lot of these situations. How does he tackle them this time? Mm-hmm. Let's talk OP and ED. So from my point of view, OP is pretty decent. Um, pretty honestly, decent. <laughs> honestly, none of them are ever going to be as good as Colors. Jibun Wo. <laughs> yeah, Jibun Wo from the, the first season, the very first opening of Code Geass. That will forever be the best opening and probably one of the best openings in anime. But with that said, this one's decent. It's a little more subdued. It's a little more chill. I like the imagery way better um, in this opening than I did in the second opening of season one, which was kind of boring to me. It was a lot of like reused imagery and stuff. So at mm -hmm. least they're coming in with some new stuff for us for season two. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like a song that I can vibe to, but it's not one that like I'm going to put on my Spotify playlist. I feel like that's our, that's our threshold, right? Like between a great anime song and a, an okay one is like, is it going to make it to its, to our Spotify playlist? Well, I did add it to the Spotify. Oh playlist. my god! <laughs> um, visuals wise, it, I don't know. It, it just seemed the same um, visually as and aesthetically as the first OP for season one, where you have again all these characters that come up on screen. The one shot that I thought was kind of weird is when Lelouch is riding that horse. Okay, see, I yeah. like that shot. Well, it's a weird angle. And the way that the, the horse is animated, like galloping, it just, it's strange. Yeah, it is a weird angle, but that's actually my favorite shot of this opening, mm. which is why I kind of like the visuals a little <laughs> bit more. So we're on opposite ends of that one, but that's fine. But yeah, I guess I would consider the, the song itself as like a, a runner up to Colors by Flow. And the title of the song is O2 by Orange Range. And I think this is where I have a little bit of bias because... It's Orange Range, and I, I'm familiar with the band. Uh, you know, it the song itself is like very reminiscent of early 2000s rock, and I've listened to Orange Range before, like a couple of their songs. I know they did an OP, I think the very first OP for Bleach. That's the only other song um, by Orange Range that I'm familiar with. Not that I've watched Bleach. It's just you guys always play that song because you've all watched Bleach. So I know that they're a pretty good band. I mean, the song's decent the one from from bleach just like this one's mm. decent <laughs> so maybe they're just like a decent band to me i don't know <laughs> and i also know them from they did the ending song for train man which is a japanese live action film that came out i think around the same time as um as code Geass. so yeah it was, it was interesting to see them um as the front runners for the op and 
they're the perfect way to segue into the ED because they also performed that song. Wait, they did? Mm-hmm. They do? What? I didn't realize yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So there are two songs. Yeah, both songs are done by Orange Range. This one, the English translation is Happy Timber um, or Shiawase Nero. Um, this one's decent. It's a ballad. This one actually does sound like the ending song from that movie I mentioned earlier, Train Man. So, um, yeah. What did you think? I, um, is that, that must be like one of the, one of the rare occasions where the same band does the opening and the ending in the same season for an anime. I feel like there was another anime that we recently watched that did that. Was it Demon Slayer? Did Lisa perform the ending song for that? I have no idea. I don't remember. Um... Google. Demon Slayer season one. Yeah. Ending, uh, opening theme, Gorenge by Lisa. Ending theme is From the Edge by, or it's Fiction Junction featuring Lisa. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, it happens a couple times in anime. Maybe it's less less frequent, um, but that's cool. I think for me with the ending, what stands out is the, the imagery. I love clamps manga art style from the way it's drawn to the way it's colored and shaded i think it's absolutely beautiful and it holds a special place in my heart because clamp manga were the first and really only manga that i ever read growing up i did read some of shonen jump back in like my my childhood um whatever was out at that time i think it was like a lot of like one piece and naruto but what I really got into and actually went out and bought pretty frequently was Cardcaptor Sakura, um, XXXholic or Triple X Holic, however you pronounce it, um, Tsubasa Chronicles. I loved all of that. So I've always been really into their art style. And I know that, that the creator of Code Geass brought in the Clamp art team to draw Code Geass. Um, so I, I really appreciate that they, and I think they did this with, season one as well but i really appreciate that they let them take the ending and feature their their manga art style what they're really known for so i think it's absolutely beautiful i love the the characters the poses the outfits that they're in it really just evokes everything clamp um so visually i really love the ending musically it's decent (laughs) just like the (laughs) opening it's decent so i think you focus more on the aesthetics of the op and ed and i Focus more on the sound of these OP or this OP and ED. Yep, sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah, this is the first time I'm watching this show, so I'm not too familiar with Clamp, but I I know from reading about the show that they were involved in the character design. Um, So I will say that the, the artistic versions of the characters of Code Geass um, in this ED are are interesting. Um, They're kind of like, these angelic or winged versions of each character, some of them wearing chains too. Um, so yeah, and I think they're kind of you're kind of drawn like paintings instead of like as the animation style, which which is a nice change of pace. Yeah, for sure. And I do want to call out that it didn't take me long to fall off of manga when I like really got back into anime. So I know that we always say we never read manga. I mean, technically. I did have a manga binge when I discovered Clamp, um, but I wasn't on that for very long. I just love anime so much more than manga. Sorry, mm. manga readers. <laughs> Nothing against manga. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to say about episode one, Pizza Hut is back, baby. <laughs> I did. That was a random Pizza Hut ad. 
I do not understand why they got rid of all of the Pizza Hut everything in season one, but then left it for season two. I know it's not appearing as frequently in season two, but damn, dude, you left Pizza Hut in there. Why take it out of season one? It's iconic. I'm sure because we watched this on Netflix, but they didn't want to pay for the rights for all of these random Pizza Hut ad cameos in the show. That's kind of like how Netflix didn't want to pay for the rights to fly me to the moon for Evangelion mm-hmm. when they brought it over to their platform. It's like, man, you just you don't get it, Netflix. You're trying to be all about anime, but you're missing out on these iconic moments in anime for us in the fandom. They, I just, I, at least, I'm at least glad that it, that it made an appearance in season two, but it'd be great if they could just also infuse that back into season one. Oh, it's it's random because I think this is the only time I noted a Pizza Hut ad in these um, R2 episodes. Like I, It this, is, I think, the only time, at least in this first half, that yeah. it appears. So it's just weird that it only appears here, and then I don't know if Netflix or if this, the show itself did not include it in the subsequent episodes. Like, why specifically this first episode? Maybe they're like... No time for pizza, but we'll at least let you know we never forgot about your Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> and was Pizza Hut like a sponsor of the show around that time? I mean, maybe in Japan. I don't know if we knew here in the U.S., but in Japan, if someone out there can answer that question, um, please let us know. And this is just an aside. Um, I talked about like how on Strictly JoJo, there's a, um, the OP with that, of that was memed on YouTube. There's actually a Code Yes... Um, the first OP was memed on YouTube where it's Code Geass opening one, but it's Pizza Hut. And I showed this to Courtney um, I think sometime last week. It's just really funny. Um, so if anyone's interested, you can just look that up on YouTube. But I think it's time for us to move on to turn two, plan for independent Japan. LaDouche plays a recap video of how Suzaku Naruto captured him in their last battle and sent him to Emperor Dad to get his memories altered using the Emperor's special form of Gias. Back in the action, Ladouche dons his Zero the Hero identity, reunites with Kalan, and oversees the knight's counterattack against the Britannian forces that brings the Babel Tower to its steel beam knees. We learn that a sibling rivalry is brewing when Rollo reveals himself as the pilot of a Nightmare Vincent, but Zero the Hero is too busy strutting his stuff on live TV and announcing the recreation the recreation of the United States of Jap America to notice. Going back to parallels, I just want to quickly point out that this episode also coincidentally parallels the second episode of the first season where uh, Lelouch or Lelouch, Lelouch. <laughs> where Lelouch or Zero eliminates a viceroy. Um, I think the name of the viceroy here was Kalares. Yes. Um, and the first viceroy, I forgot, it's his, like, royal brother or whatever, right? Clovis. Clovis, yes, Clovis. Um, but it's also weird because, you know, like, Lelouch gets his memories back, but how does he already know the names and strategies? I guess he would already know the names of the knights, unless there were new members, but how does he already know their strategies despite only recently retrieving his memory? Um, I guess it's because he's that smart. Let's just, mm, we'll chalk it up okay. to that. Because Lelouch <laughs> has intelligence beyond any other character. Mm-hmm. All I want to say about this episode too is that, God damn it, Nina is back. Oh yeah, you do get a glimpse of her here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I just kind of raced that, I guessed that from my memory. You guessed it from your mind. Mm-hmm. I wish we could all guess things about Nina from our mind. In turn three, imprisoned in campus, 
LaDouche gets back to Ashford Academy in the nick of time to prevent any suspicions about the return of his memories, which throws off Coach Valletta and her scheming gang at the Office of Secret Intelligence sent to spy on Zero the Hero. Our persnickety protagonist learns that no one knows who the fuck Nunnally is anymore, and that Cornelia's former right-hand man turned Viceroy Guilford intends to send some imprisoned Black Knight VIPs to their maker unless Zero the Hero fights him like a man. He concocts a decoy plan at a shopping mall whilst confronting Rolo at gunpoint, who uses his own gios on Ledouche to toki tomare and hold him at gunpoint instead. It's like gunpointception or something. And I think here, I know it alluded to this, I think the final episode of last season, Lelouch wears a contact lens to block the eye that has permanently has Gios now, right? Since mm-hmm. he can't get rid of it. Yeah. I thought that was that was interesting. Um, although, so, oh wait, so Gios, he can use it um, only once on a person, but if he ever gives a command, that's when it takes effect, right? Yeah, so I mean, it's always on now after what we saw in that episode with uh, Yuffie, but it only like really activates if he says something out loud to them. Like, mm. you're right, like it's some sort of command to them. So yeah, he could be looking at them, I think, with Gias on, but nothing really happens unless he like directs them to do something. Okay. Like, use this dagger to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know, like, it makes sense because later on he always like flicks his hand over his eye. Um, when he commands someone to do something using Gios, which just makes me think, like, how skilled are you at, like, removing that contact I so know. Quickly? Can you imagine how slick he has to be to pop a contact in and out, but so discreetly that no one knows he's wearing a contact? Mm-hmm. Like, you got to touch your eyeball. I mean, I, I wore contacts for years. Uh, you got to touch your eyeball and, like, pop that bad boy out, and you got to get it back in really quick. And so getting it out's the easy part. Putting it back in is the tricky part Mm -hmm. and also man his eye must be so dry all the time with taking that in and out (laughs) yeah um another thing about this episode again i forget sometimes that lelouch is a high school student um so it's you know it's just funny how this guy is supposed to be the leader of a rebellion but he has to kind of balance his high school life and i think they address that more here whereas in season one it's like he he like it's never really a conflict. Yeah, like he didn't have to. I think we talked about this in our season one review. He didn't have to maintain his identity at the school, but I think he did so to protect Nunnally because he didn't want their true identities to be revealed. And also I think part of it is like he has such an attachment to his friends at school that he didn't want to give up his Lelouch part of his life and basically only have the zero part of his life Mm -hmm. um, because he's... He's hiding his identity on both ends, except for now, because Colin knows um, who who he really is. But it's just interesting here that, again, history is repeating itself. He has to maintain these two identities, but this time he's forced to do it. Because I'm sure if he didn't have to be forced into maintaining high school Lelouch, he'd probably say, fuck it at this point. Like, it was too much of a pain in the ass to deal with last time. I'm just going to say, fuck it, and move on with my life. Um, but then again, that may make it easier to identify him as zero. So I don't know. It is kind of interesting though, to your point that he has no choice in this matter. Mm-hmm. Making our next move at turn four, a counterattack at the gallows. LaDouche, the clever boy that he is, deduces how Rolo's time-stopping Gios works and uses Shih Tzu as a bargaining chip for his fake-ass brother to spare him. 
Meanwhile, the management at the Chinese Federation is thrown into turmoil as Mail Chun Li kills a high eunuch at its Britannian consulate for formally recognizing the United States of Jap America, and acting Viceroy Guildford Tuff prepares to chop off some Black Knight heads. Too bad he picked the wrong place for the execution, as Zero the Hero appears to cause enough ruckus so that all participants are stuck within Chinese territory and are politically forbidden from launching an attack. As the Black Knights save their imprisoned counterparts, Zero the Hero takes the guise of sacrificial pseudo-brotherly love to prevent Rolo from murking him and convinces him to join their cause. Honestly, the whole thing, the whole political scheme with the Chinese Federation confuses the shit out of me. Even after watching this again, because I again, I'm not a first time viewer. I, I'm still I'm still confused by it all. Uh, to me, it's like I get the gist of it, but I don't get the details enough. And I don't I guess I'm not invested enough in the Chinese Federation to want to know the details enough. Yeah, this felt like a really confusing confusing i think for watching it first it was really confusing because i'm pretty sure or maybe it's not this episode but one of the next ones where um the male chun li <laughs> his name actual name is i think jinke jinku um, i think yeah jinka um states that he wants to eliminate the black knights and then on the chinese federation side um they like here the high eunuch i remember him saying he wants to formally recognize usj um but later on it, it turns out they want to have a political alliance with britannia through marriage so it's just very confusing where their loyalties lie yeah this whole thing kind of pushes my limits with the politics side of code Geass. there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with it it's just i again i'm not invested enough in the chinese federation to really want to fully understand what's going on here i will say though I find it absolutely hilarious how much Lelouch fucking hates Rolo. Mm. And I mean fucking mm. hates him. And it's interesting because in anime, you usually get that that character that pisses another character off or pisses the main character off. But, you know, with time, they start to warm up with them and try to understand things from their perspective and see them as a good person. Or, you know, even on the outset, they say, you know what? Like, yeah, you did this thing to me, but, you know, I, I can see that you're you're good in these ways. But man, there's none of that with Rolo. Lelouch fucking hates his guts and he does not care. Like on the on the surface, he's acting friendly to him because he's basically going to use the shit out of him um, and then throw him away when he's done. <laughs> and he just outright says that. Like not, not to Rolo, but in his inner monologue. And so I don't know if I missed this um, or if this is addressed later. So R Rolo was recruited, right, to act as Lelouch's younger brother. Yes. Is Rolo of royal blood or is he just a rando? And if we, we don't know at this point. Oh, okay. That means you know at this point. Well, I mean, I've seen the show. So. <laughs> um, okay. But that was one question I had. Um, and the other thing is like Rolo's Gios is that's another, I think one of the first instances of Gios being used as another kind of power where he is able to stop someone's sensation of time, but not time itself. It's pretty interesting. Um, and it's only in, within his, like, bubble of, like, how many feet from, from where he's um, standing. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm actually, it depends. That, but... it, it varies um, based on, like, how powerful he's pushing out the Gios. Because at one point, you see him just use a small bubble on Luge, and then later on, he uses it to stop time at, around the entire school. So he has mm -hmm. range with his power. But I think with the more range he amplifies the power with, 
or the more range he you get what i'm trying to say yeah um the less time that he can use his gios because it strains him more i think i think that's how it works yeah there are a lot of instances where we see this gios used and it's just very intriguing because so far we've only seen gios used as this kind of commanding power but here it's it's like a or time altering part or not time altering but just time bending power basically um the other note i had here again as you mentioned zero fucking hates rollo's guts um and you know he exploits Wait, zero fucking hates rollo's guts or lelouch zero <laughs> same thing. i mean yeah i'm yeah. technically they're interchangeable but <laughs> uh so yeah lelouch hates rollo's guts and he exploits rollo's vulnerability of like this desire for an older brotherly figure against him um, and as you said he intends to dispose of rollo once he's no longer useful and I think this kind of harkens back to a lot of what we saw in season one, where Lelouch kind of uses people as a means to his end pretty often. Um, so it, it kind of makes you wonder, like we already know this with Rolo, but does he actually care about the people that um, he's enlisting to his cause? Yeah, they're all pawns in his game of chess. I do mm. love, you know, just kind of side note, I do love that the theme of chess is like a major overarching theme in Code Geass. Not literal chess, but the concept um, and kind of the, the the tactics around chess are all part of everything that Lelouch does, including the titles of yeah. these episodes, turns. Yeah, so move over the Queen's Gambit. It's more like Zero's Gambit. <laughs> <But I'm> ch- <laughs> that was lame. Anyways, moving on to turn five, Knights of the Round. Apparently, students can just come and go as they please in this universe as Suzaku Nareru turns to Ashford Academy to keep tabs on Ladouche. The school decides to throw him a welcome bunkasai because he is no longer a dirty Lebanese, and Shitsu stirs up a bunch of trouble. Every time you say Lebanese, I think you're saying Lebanese. (laughs) And just to clarify, that's not what Carl said. No, a Lebanese, because... (laughs) It's they're Japanese, but they're in Area Eleven. So <laughs> so Eleven E. Yeah, I didn't know how to phrase it other than Japanese, but uh, so yeah, Shitsu stirs up a bunch of trouble for Ladouche, all because she wants some goddamn pizza and quiet. After controlling the situation with some Giast OSI henchmen, he blackmails Coach Valletta into cooperation by threatening to reveal her juicy relationship with Ogi to the local tabloids. And of course, this wouldn't be Code Geass without a wild conclusion to the episode, as Suzaku Nareru forces Ladouche to take a phone call from the next Viceroy of Area 11 to observe his reaction. And it's none other than Nunnally. Dun dun dun. This was another fun episode. Um, probably the first one of, of this half of the season. Or no, sorry, season two. Um, similar to like the Bunkasai episode with the pizza from the first season. But I, I wish they would have used a different setting because it did feel way too similar to that last Bunkasai episode. Because it's mm-hmm. like all of these people kind of colliding and, you know, possible awkward situations, you know, about to happen and they somehow avoid it. So I don't know. It just, I, I get it. Again, it's a, a theme of history repeating itself. But this almost felt like a little too close to that that other episode where I I almost wanted to call it lazy writing, but there's no <laughs> such thing as lazy writing in Code Geass, so I won't call it that. It's kind of like um, the Star Wars films, like the original trilogy. It kind of has this 
or a lot of the or the sequel and prequel trilogies have these kind of rhyming moments i guess you could call it with the original trilogy and it's the same case here with um the bunkasai aspect of this episode but yeah it's it's repetitive and it, yeah it's funny that um c2 or yeah c2 still wants to eat some pizza and that's kind of what causes the whole ruckus of this episode but yeah it would be nice to get new material <laughs> my favorite part of the episode is when everyone's sprinting past Salouche and he was so out of breath oh yeah but i think true. this is really important to note because it's not often that Lelouch is put into these situations where he needs to be physically capable but really he's not physically capable at all he's all brains like you've got suzaku who is more brawn and physical abilities. Like he's still smart, but really he excels at his physical abilities, his ability to fight and his nightmare. Um, but Lelouch could never defend himself or win when physical abilities are at play. He relies solely on his intellect. So for them to take a moment and just remind us of that in you know the school setting because everyone's running and he's about to pass out because he can't even jog. <laughs> I thought that was really good. I appreciated that moment. And that... Thinking about that now, it kind of brings up another chess analogy. Um, Courtney, I don't know how familiar you, you are with the I game have of chess. no fucking idea okay. how to play chess. <laughs> but uh, obviously, there's like the different pieces on the board, like the pawns, the, the rooks, the bishops, the knights, the, uh, the queen, and then the king. Um, but the king doesn't really have a commanding ability in the game itself because you have the pawn like he's more almost like the pawns where they can only move like one one space ahead um and you know the queen can move different spaces and the rooks have their own ability and the knights and so so on and so forth but it's the king that is limited in the moves that he can make so i guess in that sense that kind of shows lelouch's vulnerability physically because if <laughs> but, someone were to sock him in the face he mm -hmm. just collapsed <laughs> yeah but again the king is the most important piece of uh of the game of chess so there's like that irony there um so yeah i just thought about that now interesting go figure in turn six surprise attack over the pacific rollo best bogus brother that he is arrives in time to use his gear so that ladush can quickly rehearse some cover-up lines with nunley before suzaku naredu can notice as she arrives to Area 11 by airship, Zero the Hero orders the Black Knights to board the vessel in order to capture the incoming Viceroy. He meets with her privately and tries to convince her that Emperor Dad is only using her as a puppet, but she reveals that she volunteered for the position in order to fill Yuffie's wish of creating Nippon Land, seeking Zero the Hero's assistance. Ledouche struggles with what to do next as Britannian forces push back against the Knights, and Suzaku Naruto puts Nunley out of the pulls Nunnally out of the chaos. And I think here, the fact that Nunnally agreed to be a viceroy of her own accord is kind of what makes uh, Lelouch's purpose of creating a better world for Nunnally into conflict. Yeah, he kind of spirals out of control, mm -hmm. like spirals right into the toilet, as we see in the next episode with like mad depression after he comes to the realization that she's doing this of her own free will. Yeah, because everything he did up to this point was basically for for her own good and for her own safety. But like this, this undoes everything. And yeah, the back, the fact that she's trying to bring back the the special administration zone of Nippon 
Like, do you remember what happened to Euphemia? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, technically, I mean, yeah, that was... that's a separate incident from yeah. <laughs> trying to establish that area. <laughs> but yeah, so far, every time this zone has been brought up, it's it's been a very bad track record. I do wonder, as, as I was watching this episode, it kind of made me think, like, was Nunnally's allegiance to Britannia and wanting to continue Yuffie's legacy um, a result of having been brainwashed by Britannia over the last year? Mm. Or was it because she, on her own, disagreed with Zero's approach from the start? Because we don't get a lot of her thoughts on what's going on with Zero throughout season one. Like, she'll comment here or there, but we never truly get an, a good look into, like, what are her thoughts on Zero? Does she agree with his approach? Does she, does she think that he's a bad guy? So basically, is Nunnally's mindset right now... Um, the way that it is because of Britannia or is it because of Lelouch? Are these the consequences of his actions? Um, I think at this point that's not quite answered, but it is just something that that kind of makes you wonder. Like I'm sure Lelouch is wondering the same thing, which is probably why he's spiraling, spiraling into depression. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you don't know if Emperor Dad himself had any sort of influence in that decision. I know it says that, or she says herself that she volunteered, but... We know that the Emperor has his own form of Gias. Um, or we know that it alters memories. So Yeah, and he's dual wielding du his Gias powers. He's got them in both eyes. Oh, he does? Doesn't he? Yes, I, right? I didn't, know, I didn't notice <laughs> now that. Now I'm like freaking out like, uh, I'm pretty sure at this point you know that he's got two Gias eyes. Mm, okay. I didn't, I, I didn't notice that as the episode was going. Because again, these, these scenes fly by so fast. Especially, there is a scene where the emperor has a conversation with is it V two, V two, V two, which I did. I thought it was um, a female at first, but I guess or this one it reveals that it's actually a male because emperor the emperor who it's Emperor Charles calls him his big brother, um, and I think he says he hasn't told Nunley about Gias or Zero's true identity, and he says it's not necessary. But it just makes me wonder if he, again, had some or used that power to kind of influence Nunnally. And I think in a later episode, too, Nunnally's given a script to read off of. So a lot of the words that are coming out of her mouth aren't necessary. Like, maybe they're not necessarily genuine since she's reading a script. Um, I think it was given to her by Miss Lohmeyer, um, who will come up again, I think, in the next episode or the two episodes from now is that that crazy bitch that fights everyone that's always by her side uh i think she pulled the pistol um, yeah the, the one with the glasses yeah yeah she's <laughs> wild in turn seven the abandoned mask nunnally becomes viceroy and publicly declares the restoration of nipponland which forces ladouche to become enough of a depressed boy to the point where he tries to get a hit of the refrain drug but Callan stops him in time to reinforce the education they received from the D.A.R.E. program and, taking a cue from Shih Tzu, taking a cue from Ufasa, tells Ladouche, remember who you are. This spurs him enough into action as Zero the Hero saves the Black Knights from a crippling naval defeat under Suzaku Naruto's forces, but also meets with the knight in training to tell him that he wants to buy some Nipponland stonks after all. And as I was reading this, there's another parallel here because we see uh, another instance of the refrain drug being used in this season and it's Callan who kind of stops the user or like it's Callan is involved with um, someone who's using the drug in the first 
season it was her mother right yeah and then here it's it's lelouch that's using it yeah and she stops those individuals from using the drug well i think technically her mom had already used it but anyway Mm -hmm. she saves those two people in a fucking warehouse right that's where lelouch is when like some sort of like like construction yeah Yeah, some 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 sort of construction building um so that is very much a another parallel Mm mm-hmm I, for me, like the whole depression thing for Lelouch kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, I know that this show is fast moving, but this is like out of left field depression. Like, suddenly he's just 180. Um, and like, I get why. I get why he's depressed. I get why he's given up on everything, but it almost seems out of place for him. And it almost seems like the whole thing was just kind of rushed. Um, this is probably one of the very few times in Code Geass where I actually would have liked them to slow down and build this out a little bit more because Mm. in the same episode in the same half of an episode he goes from like incredibly depressed to like right back to being zero zero the hero as you like to say zero to hero i know i almost said the hercules way (laughs) zero zero to hero um but i think it reinforces how important nunnally is to him and how um these things impact him when they don't go his way especially if it's something as as intricate as his own sister having this mindset that's completely against what he's trying to do like that that is super complicated like how the fuck's he gonna get out of that one right Mm -hmm. but i think what this episode also represents is that i think in the later half of this episode loose says that his battle is just not it's not just about nunnally anymore and i think callan is the one who kind of makes him come to those senses um which you know it's still kind of hard to understand why um, but I think now Lelouch is pr- approaching the rebellion on a more holistic view, um, rather than this personal view. And one thing I wanted to make a quick note of is I think the emperor had an opening speech at the inauguration where he says that commandments are nothing but mere illusions with which the weak protect themselves. I don't know if that was supposed to be some sort of slight to Lelouch in that he's using a power of Gios to use it to command others. Um, but it's ironic because the Emperor uses this power himself in his own position of, th- of authority. Yeah, he's a, a Gios dual wielder. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he had Gios in both of his eyes. If not, mm. then I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I have to rewatch that scene. Um Another fun fact, Nunnally is 87th in line to the throne. So this guy... I thought you were going to say she was 87 years old. (laughs) I literally thought that you were about to say that. I'm like, that's not right. She is the 87th heiress in line to the throne. So the emperor has been busy, guys. So yeah, he literally has 87 children. Well, no, because if some of his children have children, they Mm, would take place, right? But But we haven't seen any of the grandchildren yet. Uh, yeah, I guess. So that makes it very likely that Rolo could be um like a, another one of his fuckers. <laughs> Honestly, I'll be I'll be I'll be truthful with you. I don't remember if Rolo is related to Lelouch or not. Mm. I true I truly don't. I've mentioned this before in our season 1 reviews that while I have watched Code Geass before, it has been a long time since I've seen it. So I actually don't remember probably like 50% of what's happening in this show. Um so it's kind of nice cuz I get to rewatch it, re-experience it, but also experience part of it for quote unquote the first time just because I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Moving on to turn eight, one million miracles in one of the most mind-blowing episodes of our two-part one. 
Zero the hero privately meets with Suzaku Naruto and a convoy of Britannia's top dogs to request that he be exiled from Area 11 in exchange for sending 1,011,000 residents to Nippon land. On the day of the opening ceremony, however, Zero the Hero pulls off his biggest anime scheme to date as all the Elevenese dial Z for Zendetta and disguise themselves as their revolutionary hero, leaving Suzaku Naruto with no choice but to allow them all to exile aboard the iceberg ship that probably sunk the Titanic, rather than have a repeat of Yuffie's GTA Rampage. Also, as we mentioned, Nina's back, but fuck that table bumping bitch. <laughs> Oh my god yeah so we get that cool v for vendetta moment um and that was pretty fucking badass and then they made it more badass by bringing up an entire iceberg that everyone (laughs) needs to get on all one million people need to somehow get onto that iceberg in a quick fashion it would have taken like (laughs) three four hours to get a million people all dressed as zero onto this fucking iceberg. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. The whole thing was really cool to watch. I was like, this is, this seems way faster than I think it would be in real life. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's where like TV shows or anime don't address like the practicality of a situation. <laughs> but yeah, this is more just a thrilling spectacle. And you know, I, I really like this episode um, first and foremost, because like, we see here that, and I think one of the characters mentions this, is like Zero is no longer an idol to these people, but he has become this symbol that everyone can really rally behind. Um, so again, Zero has become even more of a powerful symbol for the rebellion now that he's technically risen from the dead um, and has this strong cause behind him. Um, the other the interesting thing about this episode is Suzaku's place because we know... In season one, he was always rallying about using diplomatic means to create the change that he wants to see with Area 11 and with Britannia. And he's finally risen to this position of power and and becoming this... I don't know if he's part of the Knights of the Rounds yet, or I think I mentioned like he's like a knight in training. But it's there was that scene here where there is an assassin who tries to kill him, and then he has to sign an order that will execute that assassin, right? It's interesting that he refuses to make the difficult decision to sign that order, and the other knight, Anya, I think, has to do it in his place. And then later in this episode, when he is tasked with making a difficult decision using his authority, after that like whole political talking match with Miss Lohmeyer, um, not only his assistant, it's a decision that actually doesn't even work in Britannia's favor Although he promises to protect all of the eleven citizens, elevenese, <laughs> the elevenese citizens who stay behind in Area Eleven, so it's like you got to this point and you're not even doing what you originally intended to do with it. Well, I think he is kind of like not directly, but like indirectly by not allowing any of the Japanese to be hurt and not being part of the system that's going to put them in that place. Like I know that that one Japanese who tried to kill tried to kill him. Um, so I guess in that sense, he may have had some justification to sign that order to have him executed, but he chose not to because that's the exact person that he's sworn to protect. Mm. And he can understand why that Japanese person feels betrayed because here he is as a Japanese person, a son of, oh shit, what was his dad's title? 
prime minister prime minister um and he's basically working at one of the highest levels for britannia so that that japanese person may not immediately see what suzaku's trying to do actually most of them probably don't see what he's trying to do um but it's just a very tricky place for him to be in so i think that again to to address that original thought i think that he is slow in his approach to make the change, but he probably doesn't feel like he's in the right spot that he needs to be to start making those changes from the inside out. Mm-hmm. That, that's a fair, it's a fair assessment. And speaking of Suzaku, I love that he and, and Lelouch are on the same page, no matter how far on opposite sides they are um, in any given situation. Like Suzaku acknowledges this when he comments that the entirety of Zero's plan depended on him not opening fire on the crowd. And I think at this point, he's pretty much like, yeah, that's got to be Lelouch. Like somehow that's got to be Lelouch because... There's just no other person who would know Suzaku that well to bank on him not calling that command, saying fire on the crowd. So I I just love that no matter how far apart they are, their fates are always intertwined. Their their Mm -hmm. friendship, as much as it's not a friendship at this moment, just continues to to exist and and to, to blossom. Maybe not blossom, but yeah, you get what I mean. Who does Suzaku think is under the mask? I don't. I think that's why he's been trying to to catch Lelouch. Like when he had mm. him talk to Nunnally, he's trying to get him to slip up. But I think a little bit of him at the same at the same time probably doesn't want to outright put Lelouch on the spot because if he does, that means his childhood friend could get killed. Mm-hmm. That means Nunnally's brother could get killed, and I'm sure Suzaku made a promise to Nunnally to also protect her brother. So there's mm-hmm. a lot that comes with getting Lelouch killed and him being the reason that he gets killed. So I don't know. Like he could have shot Lelouch at the end of season one, right? Lelouch, Lelouch could try to run away, but he's so <laughs> fucking slow. Like Suzaku could have headshotted him with ease. Like I think at this point, it's just him trying to balance what he needs to do to make the change that he's trying to make internally in Britannia, but at the same time still protect Lelouch. Mm-hmm. Although thinking back to that that last scene of the season finale they are as skilled at shooting as stormtroopers are <laughs> yeah in turn nine a bride in the vermilion forbidden city Ladouche learns that the high eunuchs of the chinese federation are giving away some of their land to prince schnitzel and forcing their empress into a political marriage to prince odysseus of britannia all in exchange for britannian titles of nobility a very one-sided deal if you want to ask a qualified fictional political strategist such as myself. Zero shows up to the wedding rehearsal demanding a game of chess with Schnitzel, Schnitzel to assert his dominance or some shit, but refuses to play into a checkmate planned by his royal brother and promptly fucks off. The day of the wedding arrives, but much as previous major events have never gone the way they're fucking supposed to, this one is no different as male Chun-Li saves the Empress hearkening back to a promise he made with her long ago and leads a coup d'etat against the no-balls nobles until Zero the Hero swoops in to take the Empress hostage because no one else is allowed to take the spotlight except him. Oh my god, Nina, just fuck off. She's she's terrible. She's just awful in this episode. Like This is her first time back on screen since we saw her lose her fucking shit at the end of season one. 
And at first, she seems fine, right? Like maybe she's grown a little bit or maybe she's, you know, taken on responsibility and understands the world a little bit more now that she's left the school and she's fucking working for Britannia. Nope. She's a bitch to Millie. And then she disowns Colin as her friend just because she identifies as Japanese. And then she tries to stab Zero in the middle of this really nice party that she was invited to. And then she yells at Suzaku. And I'm sure Schneitzel is probably like, fuck this bitch. Why did I invite her here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's just terrible. Like, just just the worst. I like how she, she catches up with Millie earlier on in this episode saying that she hates shallow women like her. But she is shallow herself. She still idolizes Yuffie as that if that's not a problem at all either and again like she she loses her mind by the end of this and i don't know if we i don't remember if we see what happens to nina after this point if she, like she's thrown into like, no we don't a, which a, a i was hoping ward. for i wanted to see someone slap her in the face mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah fuck nina she's i don't know every time she's on screen i'm just like oh and i roll my eyes like i hate her so much like i just think that her behavior is completely uncalled for um and she she needs some help she mm -hmm. needs some help not more responsibility not being part of britannia she needs another table she, oh my god yeah maybe that'll calm her down just give her the corner of a <laughs> table pent up sexual <laughs> um one other thing to note in this episode is we do see the return of Jeremiah, who now sports a nice gold island. He ain't dead yet. Yeah, because again, if you don't see an on-screen death, they might still be alive. In turn 10, when Shen Hu wins glory, now that all of China knows Zero's here, he absconds with the Empress, and the eunuchs strike a deal with Mail Chun-Li in order for him to rescue her. Yeah, make him do all the dirty work, you falsetto fucks. They supply him with a special nightmare frame, Shen Hu, which he uses to outlast and capture Kallen in a battle with her not Guren Lagan. The knights retreat to a Chinese mausoleum, and to no one's real surprise, the eunuchs once again turn their backs on Mail Chun-Li, this time with the full support of Britannia behind them. Zero the Hero says that it's all part of the plan. And in a moment of confusion, we see that Ledouche is actually back in Area 11 and not in this battleground of Chinese checkers. All the battle sequences in Code Geass are well thought out and full of like unexpected moves. But this one, I think, was more um, one of the more intricate and impressive sequences. It lasts the entire episode and the Black Knights don't have the upper hand for most of the fight. In fact, they even retreat um, towards the end of it. And rather than like a brawl or a bunch of crazy effects. There's like actual strategy and thought process behind the combat that's happening here. And that's the same across all of the fights in Code Geass, but this one in particular stands out to me um, just because it's so grand, it's so long, and it's super, super complex. I mean, the battle continues into the next episode. So I, I, I really love watching this episode just from the, the fighting perspective. I thought there was just a lot of anime scheming about in this episode because <laughs> I think at some point Zero says that he found out about the Chinese Federation's ambush by kiosking a soldier. And so he calls an ambush on that ambush. But then the eunuchs use Zinka's help to also stay ahead of Zero's plan. So they were also scheming. And I think Callan's face off against Zinke in Gur or is it Gurin, right? Yeah. 
and with him and Shen Hu, it was just also just a bunch of scheming one-uppers in the battle. Um, again, like visually, the the battles were astounding, but yeah, this I always call it anime scheming. Like that's what it fell back to here. That's fair. I think some of the pieces of this battle were a little like out there. Mm-hmm. Like the whole thing of I don't know when they when the water was released and then the nightmares got stuck in the mud or whatever because mm-hmm. the ground was was softening or sinking or whatever. Which that's funny because I think the eunuchs say like we intentionally use this spot because this infrastructure was so poorly constructed. <laughs> it's like okay. Yeah, I think like that in particular was probably one of the more like, okay, sure, semi-eye roll moments of the battle. Um, But yeah, I think it's just, it's like this balance of how clever can they get with their their writing? How clever can they get with these these battle um, decisions? But at the same time, try to make it believable for the audience. Mm -hmm. And it tends to lean more on like being extremely clever and being slightly less believable. But at the end of the day, it all plays well into the grandness of everything that's going on here. So I usually don't mind it, mm-hmm. but this I did enjoy this battle a lot. I think it's it's probably one of my favorites, although I'm sure there's others that are, are more popular. One other thing about this episode I wanted to bring up is that Diethard, the Zero Simp, um, as everything is going to shit for the Knights, he proposes to Zero that they withdraw from the conflict. Um, as he says, like a single life isn't worth the entire Chinese Federation when they uh, end up capturing Callan. Um and he says like great ambitions sometimes require sacrifices but it, here I know that like Callan is has like plot armor on cuz she is a main character but here Lelouch says or decides that he doesn't want to treat the black knights just like cannon fodder or as you alluded to before like pawns in a chess match so it seems that he's kind of been a changed man um after Callan whipped him into shape in that earlier episode. But I think part of it too is that it's it's Callan that we're talking about. Yeah, here. that's like what I meant. Like were... it, it, with her having the plot armor in. Yeah, because if it were anyone else, they, they don't hold as, as special of a place in his heart as Callan and all of his other high school friends. Mm-hmm. So I think he, obviously he's, he's using the guise of like, oh, every soldier's important in order to make sure that Callan gets returned safely. But it's interesting that Diethard is the one who's making all the tough choices or at least recommending the tough choices like usually lelouch is supposed to be the one who can make the tough calls but in this case or in the the most recent cases it's been diethard who's said no we need to do this it sucks it's it's going to be brutal but this is the right decision and oftentimes he's right Mm -hmm. but lelouch will make the opposite choice and it just so happens to work out in his favor yeah because lelouch is smart boy (laughs) big brain time yeah and I feel like, you know, Diethard is always, he's been like the propagandist of the team. Um, so he's only saying, like, saying these things in order to bolster, like, Zero's image. Whereas, again, Zero wants to save, or Lelouch wants to save Kyle, and so he has that personal um, interest in this situation. But, yeah, it, it ends up working in his favor anyways. In turn 11, Power of Passion. Don't worry, guys. Turns out the fake Ladouche is just his former maid Sayoko in disguise so that the real Ladouche's cover isn't blown. Male Chun-Li and Zero the Hero find out that the eunuchs give zero shits about the Empress and intend to install a puppet in their alliance with Britannia. 
Zero the Hero uses the opportunity to go on Twitch and livestream the Unix selling out China, which throws its citizens into mutiny all across the Federation. He then uses his nightmare Shinkiro to make chop suey out of the Unix and the remaining Chinese forces, and Britannia backs the fuck out of there, realizing their political loss, but take Callan with them as a consolation prize. After forging an alliance with Mail Chun Li and the Empress, LaDouche instructs Shih Tzu to stay behind in the Chinese Fed to find out more about the order that controls Gias. Maybe he should have stayed behind too, because two knights of the round, Geno's East and Anyan Cat, have enrolled at Ashford Academy to try and throw a cockney wrench in his plans. I want to throw out um, a plot hole here. Why is Sayoko back at um, Area 11 when we saw her on the iceberg ship with the exiles going to China? Yep, I thought the same thing, <laughs> and I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, that's out there. Iraqi forgot. <laughs> and speaking of Sayoko, so we find out, obviously, that she's the reason there's two Lelouches at the same time. Um but, like, for me, there are some aspects of Code Geass where I feel like some things are just convenient plot devices. Or, again, they're trying to balance that clever writing with believability. Um, so somehow, they're trying to convince us that somehow Lelouch or whoever can make Sayoko look and sound exactly like Lelouch with just a mask. Like, that makes mm. no sense to me. Like, isn't she shorter than he is? And doesn't she have tits and stuff? Um, so this is one of those more far-fetched moments or more far-fetched pieces of technology that they've introduced in the show that I'm just not convinced by. With that said, I do give props to the show because even the more ridiculous plot devices like this Lelouch mask are still used in like a clever way that makes the story interesting. Um, in this case, it's actually causing Lelouch more of a headache to have Sayoko you know, don this mask and pretend mm -hmm. to be him then it really is helping him at the end of the day. So while some of these things are eye roll moments or like the believability is super low, as we kind of talked about um, with the, the previous battle scene, um, they always kind of make it worth your while to watch all of this unfold or make it worth your while to introduce this convenient plot device. So it's kind of like, all right, I'll take it just because it ended up being funny or interesting at the end of the day. Yeah, I would say that's kind of... I don't know if I would call it an issue, but one thing with the show that doesn't really sit well with me is that a lot of these almost like twists and turns are like are almost done on spectacle or to kind of surprise us, like with this whole Sayoko thing. Again, it, it, I guess plot-wise it makes sense, but it's at the same time it's almost like they're, they're pulling strings too. Yeah, it's kind pulling of like... At strings. It's kind of like the nightmares, right? So like while it's cool that each new nightmare that's introduced has even more impressive power and capabilities, at a certain point, the constant one-ups get a bit overdone. Mm -hmm. Like Lucia's new nightmare introduced in this episode, I don't remember what it's called. Shinkiro. Okay. Um, thank you for that. I'm really bad with names and titles. <laughs> <laughs> As everyone knows, the um, this nightmare apparently has, quote unquote, the strongest defense system or something the biggest dick the biggest penis um or something of like any machinery in the entire world and and i'm like yeah until the next upgrade or the next nightmare comes along that has even more impressive capabilities yeah, it's called technological advancement <laughs> well just like the show it moves very quickly mm -hmm. but i think what that nightmare was supposed to symbolize is the fact that it harkens back to something that schneitzel said in his chess mess against zero 
um, at the wedding banquet or pre-wedding banquet. If the king doesn't lead, how does he expect his subordinates to follow? So this is just showing Zero taking that into heart by stepping out into the battlefield to to get shit done. Um, so yeah. And yeah, this battle rages on. But I think in this episode, it's more about the politics than in the previous episode that was more about like the strategic battle. Mm-hmm. So while I like this overall battle, I liked what we got in the previous episode a little bit more than the political stuff that we got in this episode. Still good, though. Mm-hmm. In turn 12, love attack. It's time for a comedic slice of life episode, don't you think? While under the guise of her former master, Sayoko inadvertently fills Ledouche's schedule with multiple dates. Coupled with student council president Millie announcing a special Cupid Day event to celebrate her graduation, this only spells romantic disaster for Lady Killer Ledouche. While students are supposed to exchange hats with people they wish to date, Millie places a bounty on Ledouche's head so the rules don't really fucking matter. Horny chaos ensues until Shirley shares a tender moment with Ledouche which apparently was Millie's real plan the whole goddamn time. But just when you think everything is all sunshine and rainbows, a newly rejuvenated Jeremiah, Mr. Orange himself, comes to Area 11 with a special power, courtesy of R2-V2, to cancel all uses of Gios, meaning surely knows. Oh, also, did you know Cornholia is still alive? Me neither. I enjoyed this episode. I think, like... Overall, the comedic relief and the lighthearted take in this episode was very much needed after everything that we got, like the last several episodes mm-hmm. um, with the whole Chinese Federation, the, the fucking iceberg and all that stuff. So this is great. It was a little over the top with Millie's Cuba Day stuff and I don't know, just her whole ploy to get Shirley and Luce together. But mm-hmm. I thought it was fun. It was It was a nice break from everything else that we've got going on. And... As a bonus, the hats look like upside down nutsacks. So everyone was running around with <laughs> Aren't pink they just and blue. Supposed to be hearts. <laughs> yes, but they looked like pink and blue nutsacks on everyone's head. And and even the guys in the control room, I think we noticed, were wearing mm-hmm. those too. And I'm like, why are they wearing yeah, them? Yeah. Aren't they like part of Britannia, not students at the school? <laughs> yeah, they're not participating at all. <laughs> you know what? Maybe they didn't want them to feel left out. Yeah, but yeah, the, just the absurdity of the chase part of this episode was just on another level um i think at one point lelouch used gias on a student named mia because she had ended up stealing his hat and so he takes it back from her and then he switches spots with sayoko who puts on the that lelouch mask and obviously like sayoko is a lot more athletically adept and has these like ninja skills um so seeing the contrast between you know Lelouch's poor athleticism and the way that she like travels across campus in evading everyone was just great. Yeah, I agree. I think that was my favorite part of this episode because um, once again, we see Lelouch using his strategic battle skills, um, which is his forte, but for like a silly school event. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's confused as fuck because as you mentioned, Lelouch is the least physically fit person at the school and everybody knows it. And suddenly he's doing like backflips and shit as Sayoko. So Mm -hmm. they are just confused as you would expect them to be in real life. And then the night Anya, who's there undercover as a student, I I think the whole time she's trying to expose Lelouch 
And at one point, she pilots her fucking nightmare to find him. And that, I think, triggers, like, the Britannian forces because they think there's something going on at the school. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what is this episode even? Yeah, it's um, it's a good one. I think of all of the lighthearted comedic relief episodes, this one is probably one of my, my favorites. I think this one and the first Bunkasai episode from season one um, are the ones I, I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. But it, like I said, it's not all sunshine and rainbows because at the very end of that episode, after you know Shirley kind of confesses her feelings for Lelouch, all of her med- memories start flooding back because Jeremiah's new power conveniently cancels all uses of Gias. Yup, and let's <laughs> let's acknowledge that Jeremiah is climbing the ranks of importance as the Gias canceler. Like, like talk <laughs> about. Talk about like an started insane... from the bottom. Yeah, started from the bottom. Now we're here. Like he went from a pretty high up ranking member of Britannia to being like stomped and smeared all over the floor by Lelouch. Mm-hmm. His reputation just went from like great to being orange. Um, <laughs> and now he's kind of like making his way back. He's 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 getting there. He's doing things. He's making moves. He's canceling Giasses. Okay. Yeah, again, it's just so random that at this very convenient time, he is able to cancel Gias. This is where it's like, yeah, it's it's a it's quite a twist, but it's something about it just doesn't seem like it seems a little bit forced. You know what I mean? Yeah, like why why did he choose to to cancel Gias in that that radius? I don't know how far he can he can use his gias but like why did he choose at that moment to just suddenly try to cancel a bunch of giases or whatever giases could even be in the area mm-hmm. right like you think he would wait to use it till he knows for sure someone's in the area or within range that has a gias that he needs to cancel but he just like fired it off for some reason maybe yeah i think i don't know if you mentioned it was supposed to be a test run but yeah how convenient that surely was there and then all that stuff started coming back yep so technically, episode 12 was the conclusion of part one. But as we mentioned before, the following episode, 13, is technically incorporated into the second half of Code Geass R2, but we are including it here in our part one discussion as it connects directly to episode 12 and serves as a better, or I guess bitter, conclusion. Yeah, we felt it was a better place to stop. And actually, our friend Rob really wanted to see Carl's reaction to Shirley's Shirley's outcome. Demise. Yeah, her demise at the end of this episode. Um, so that's another reason why we decided to just go ahead and, and show it to, to Carl. Um, we will still, as we mentioned earlier, we will still talk about episode 13 in our part two review just to kind of complete that part of the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll probably wait, I think, to talk about the new opening and ending on that part two discussion as well. Yeah. So we'll just talk high level about episode 13 and then revisit it when we um, have that part two. Yeah, so to wrap up with turn 13, Assassin from the Past, Shirley has a nightmare, no, not the mecha nightmare, the dream kind of one, about Ladouche being Zero the Hero, but learns to reconcile with her suppressed memories. On an outing with him and Suzaku Naderu, she tells the latter on the side to quit being a bitch and forgive Ladouche as she has. Orin Jeremiah later arrives to ruin the festivities, and Ladouche activates some specially outfitted trains that disable him and any Sakuradite powered items, but later joins Zero the Hero's cause after revealing his loyalty to Ladouche's mother, Marianne. 
Before Shirley can return to LaDouche, she runs into Rolo and accidentally reveals that she knows about Nunley being LaDouche's true sibling, to which Rolo congratulates her with a bullet to the stomach. Upon discovering her body, LaDouche tries to use Gias to command her to live, damn it, but it's no use. After professing her love for him, Shirley, Shirley dies, and don't call me serious. Fuck Rolo, Fuck man. Fuck Rolo. <laughs> Fuck Rolo. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, objective-wise, it makes sense for Rolo to have eliminated Shirley because she revealed that she knows the truth about Lelouch and with Nunley being her sister. I think, on the other hand, it kind of plays into his Rolo's sick, like twisted fantasy of wanting Lelouch for himself as a sibling. But. Yeah, and so I that's a great point that like there's these two sides to Rolo that you could you could fall under. Um he's he's a morally conflicting character, unlike Nina who is just simply terrible. Um on one side I do feel bad for Rolo because all he wants is Lelouch to be the family he never had. Um but of course as we know, Lelouch has no intention of doing right by him and only wants to use him, which is understandable considering Rolo is basically indirectly maybe directly involved with um not only being removed from his life but again i i I can feel for rollo based on everything that we've learned about him by this point on the other side though rollo is a fucking weirdo and gets Mm -hmm. overly protective of his relationship with lelouch and then fucking kill shirley over it like damn i feel bad for you but do you really care about Lelouch when you just go up and kill somebody that's really important to him? Or are you just possessive over him and you just want him to be yours and only yours? Cause he freaks out too. When, um, Lelouch says like, Oh, I can take that charm back that I gave to you and give you something more like appropriate for you. Um, cause I think subconsciously he had intended to give that charm to Nunnally, but then Rolo's like, no, I like it. Don't take it from me. Like he just flips his shit about a fucking charm. And part of me is like, oh, that's really sweet because he cares about his fake brother so much. But then I'm like, I think about it a little bit more and I'm like, no, that's weird, dude. Like just because of everything else that's factoring into this, that feels weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't help but hate him because of everything that's unfolded. Yeah. It makes you wonder like why, Lelouch just didn't get rid of him in the beginning. Um, well, I think if he were to kill Rolo, everyone would realize that Lelouch got his memory back. Oh, uh, yeah. That, that's my thought process anyway. Like He needs to keep him around, but also he is useful. He's another pawn in Lelouch's game. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, um, it's important to note that there are many people that have died in Lelouch's game in this big fight. But this is, I think, the first time Lelouch has lost someone close to him since his mother died. Um, I know that Yuffie and him shared a special bond and Yuffie was very good to him, but they still had a very distant relationship. So while her death impacted him, especially because it's his fault, I don't think he would react in the same way as like his mother dying or Shirley dying or Nunnally dying because Yuffie is a, a distant um, sibling to Lelouch. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. Like so it yeah, doesn't carry that same emotional weight. For yeah, him. exactly. So for here, it's for, for him in this moment, he's feeling the direct consequences of his actions more so than the first time he fucked over Shirley with, you know, indirectly killing her dad. And Shirley kind of brings up an interesting point when she has uh, that conversation with Suzaku Naru about, <laughs> I call him Suzaku Naru, <laughs> with, with Suzaku 
um, about his feelings about Lelouch. I don't know if that implies that she knows, like, that Suzaku also knows of Lelouch's true identity as Zero. Um, I... Shit, and I can't remember. I think she's putting that together that mm-hmm. Suzaku knows about Zero. Well, okay, no, I think that that her whole thing is like she's got her memory back. She's freaked out. She's not sure if she can trust Lelouch. And so she talks. She she invites Suzaku to meet her so that she can tell him about Zero. But then I think she sees that their their friendship is more important. And so she doesn't want to affect that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll rewatch it when we talk about <laughs> our part two. And we can we can revisit this. But I think it, it, it's something that's going to linger with Suzaku now about whether like, or not he can truly forgive Lelouch for his actions as Zero, but for Shirley to do that, even knowing that Zero was the one who killed her father, it that takes a lot of patience and understanding, and it shows how much of a bigger person she's trying to be in the situation. So I think Lelouch is really, not Lelouch, Suzaku is going to really reflect on that um and i'm sure it's going to come into conflict about whether his loyalties lie with britannia um and eliminating zero or whether his loyalties lie with zero's cause um in bringing true peace freedom and justice to the area 11 galaxy (laughs) the galaxy i'm gonna say something possibly controversial um do we think that another parallel in this show between seasons one and two is again with Shirley getting in the way like she did last time, forcing to Lush, uh, forcing Lush to erase her memories. But like this time she gets in the way and Rolo fucking kills her. Like had she mm. just stayed home or done what Lush told her and like hide or get away from this place, um, this wouldn't have happened. Like the whole reason she Lelouch was forced to erase her memories in the first season was because she got nosy. She needed to know, you know, who Zero actually was, and went to the fucking battlefield and then shot a woman. She she shot Violetta. Like all that didn't have to happen had she not, you know, made that really odd decision to go to a battlefield and try to find zero mm. um in this case like none of this would have happened if she just listened to lelouch and suzaku and just stayed with you know the guards or whatever or stayed away from this place because she never would have run into rollo um she never would have had that gun in the first place and then she never would have gotten shot right yeah i guess it is a contrast here because whereas in the first season she was so intensely focused on finding out zero's identity and then eventually learning what it was and how distraught she was from that news here it's her like coming to terms with that um and just accepting it for what it is but yeah in either case her her involvement just led to her demise and here it's obviously to her fatal demise yeah i mean don't get me wrong i'm very sad about her death and it makes me hate Rolo so much but part of me is like man this wouldn't have happened had you not tried to be involved in something that is way above anything that you understand or that you're capable of assisting in mm-hmm. and I, I think it's nice that she wanted to help Lelouch 
but it's also like what can you possibly do right like he's he's zero he commands entire armies of of people fighting against britannia he's like the smartest person in this whole thing and what what can you possibly do shirley like really what can you do you're only going to be more of a hindrance than a help to lelouch so yeah I think she could still be alive today had she not made that terrible, terrible decision. And the funniest thing is they're all high school students. Yeah. This is happening <laughs> in, a, in a high school setting, kind of. But man, the the magnitude of this is just is just nuts. But yeah, rest in peace, Shirley Fennett. Before we close out, I do want to say... My boy Jeremiah becomes an ally of Lelouch. Like <laughs> Redemption again, arc. Yeah, talk about a crazy story, man. He's just all over the fucking place. <laughs> and I kind of like that revelation that he was loyal to Lelouch's mother, Mary Ann. Um, although, again, that kind of just felt like it came out of left field. Yeah, um... I'm trying to think if there were, if there was ever any other opportunity for that to come to light or for Lelouch to realize that. But I guess up until this point, like Jeremiah didn't really have a chance to face Lelouch mm-hmm. as Lelouch, not as Zero. Or maybe he didn't have as much certainty that Zero was Lelouch up until this point. Mm-hmm. And then he says something that I think is the first time it's mentioned that jeremiah founded the pure bloods i don't i don't think any other characters mentioned this previously so it'll be interesting to see how that comes into play because i know they've already mentioned like the order right which is like this group that has some sort of autonomy over how gios is used and now you have this second thing called the pure bloods so i'm just intrigued to learn more about this this group and with the order and everything else that's fucking going on in this show in part two of R2. And on that note, let's go ahead into our final thoughts for Code Geass, Lelouch of the Rebellion R2. What did you think overall about this first half? I really like it. Again, they're not wasting any time. They're throwing us right back into the story um, while answering the questions that we had pretty quickly. But it's also setting up for an even more wild ride, I guess, than than season one. Um, I think that there are some confusing pieces, again, with the Chinese Federation. Like, I just don't understand it. Um, maybe I will throughout the second half of the season as I'm rewatching everything and refreshing my memory. But um, I think the political pieces aside, everything else is really, really intriguing. The characters just continue to to get more and more complex, more deep. Um, and Lelouch himself is becoming more um, more colorful than he was in the first season. Like he was pretty black and white. Like this is this was his goal. These were the methods he was going to use, um, and he was just going to achieve all of that somehow. But here it's like now he's facing the consequences of his actions more so than he ever did before. Um, he doesn't have the upper hand in every situation like he did in the first season. I mean, not literally. There were some some occasions where he didn't. But here, like the the situations that he's in, that's really testing his his intellect. That's testing his ability to be a, a good leader. Um, especially when, when it comes to Nunnally, like what's he going to do there? We'll find out in the second half, but that just adds so much more, um, depth to Lelouch, I think. 
Mm -hmm. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, at first I thought like the the second season of the show was just only throwing in all of these crazy plot reveals and plot twists just for the cheap thrills. But I think, as we've discussed, for the most part, they proved to be of substance as much as I can just chalk it up to like typical anime scheming. But I think like the most brilliant example of this is that Z4 Zendetta episode. <laughs> Z4 Zendetta. <laughs> um, but I guess seeing all of these or being introduced to all of these different instances of Gios we've seen are used by Lelouch and we've seen a different one by Rolo and now one by the Emperor. It just makes you wonder if these are really being used to change the world for the better or if it's just going to keep the world in its sorry state just because of how corrupted the usage of this power has been. Again, not only on the Emperor's part, um, and you don't really see it corrupted on Rolo's part, but definitely on Lelouch's part because, again, he's using it as a means to to an end um, in this rebellion. And it harkens back to a question that Zero actually poses to um, the acting Viceroy Guilford in an earlier episode, is what do you do when there is an evil you cannot defeat by justice? So it's almost like using Gios by any means necessary at this point. Um, there's not much insight that we got into the origin of C2 or V2's race in this first half or again, what exactly the order is. So hopefully there's more of that um, in part two. And another question that I kind of wrote down here is like, is Lelouch really any closer to overthrowing the Britannian empire or sending his emperor dad to kingdom come? Because as you said, a lot of his previous actions, he is now facing the consequences of that. And it's almost like it's setting him a couple steps back. I don't know what the chess analogy for that is going to be, or just that he, the more that he tries to advance, I guess, with his pieces, the more pieces are being taken away. I guess that's the best way to allow to make that analogy. <laughs> I don't know what I was trying to say there. Um, another thing, and this is kind of light spoilers for Attack on Titan. I know that Lelouch and Code Geass were trending last month when the final chapter of the Attack on Titan manga was re was released. And so I'm kind of curious to see what the ending of this series brings and if that has any sort of parallel. We've been talking about parallels so much in this episode. What that has to do with Attack on Titan. Again, I don't want to read too much into it um but having that sort of um factor from outside of the show is also what's gonna make watching this final part of r2 so intriguing we'll find out we'll find out when we come back with our part two review of Code Geass R2, which is the second season of Code Geass. <laughs> Just a lot to say. Mm -hmm. But look forward to that episode because we will be bringing back our good friend Aaron from Under the Bun to join us in our analysis and our, our deep review of the last part of this insane, insane anime. Yeah, I can't wait to have Aaron back on. This will be fun. And that wraps up episode 35 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. 
Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Um, or we know that it alters memories, so. Yeah, and he's dual wheel. Yeah, and he's dual wheel. I can't say it. Dual. Dual wielding? <laughs> dual wielding? Dual wielding. I can't say it.